This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon. I have attached the link on the website. So if you just visit the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, you can then find the Patreon link there. Thank you to those that have. In this week's episode, I chat to Yvonne and she talks me through her three pregnancies and two births. So for those of you who are not in a position to listen to a story that surrounds loss and is of a sensitive nature, then this episode probably isn't for you at the moment. So Yvonne talks me through receiving the news that her little boy had Edward syndrome. She talks me through her decision to continue with the pregnancy and his birth and his arrival into the world and how she knew she made the right decision. She then talks me through her second pregnancy, which was a chemical pregnancy, and talks me through her third pregnancy, which brought Ayla into the world. So Ayla was later diagnosed after birth with Down syndrome as well as Edward syndrome. So to have the two syndromes together is quite uncommon. Yvonne fought to make sure that Ayla had every chance possible to survive and she now has a two-year-old little girl who is thriving, who is smiling for her mum, who is bringing Yvonne so much joy and not only Yvonne to anyone else who is in her bubble, is in her life. So I'm very thankful to Yvonne for sharing her story. It can't be easy reliving such intimate and raw moments of her life um, that are otherwise kept quite personal. So Yvonne, thank you so much. And I will make sure to link any of the charities and foundations that Yvonne has mentioned throughout. Um, if any of you need support, as well as some others that, I know, that I'm aware of. Yvonne did mention a Facebook group as well that I will make sure to link, as I know that seemed to be a real pillar of support for her. And it kind of steered her away from looking, looking at Google, which is definitely not good for us in those moments of need, worry or concern. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode and thank you again, Yvonne. Yvonne, you're very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. If you want to just begin by giving us a little introduction to you and your family. Um, and so my name's Yvonne and I'm 23 and back in 2017, I fell pregnant with my first baby and I was in my uh, last year in college and I was studying social studies and social care. Um, so to find out I was pregnant that 
at the age of 19 was a big shock like it wasn't uh, planned or anything like that I was in college and you know it wouldn't be you know I, I felt when I uh, first got pregnant that I kind of maybe let my family and stuff down because I was so young and you know not um like you know not, no one in my family really had babies young they're all kind of married and stuff so for me to be kind of I felt like I was the odd one okay. out to get me and so it was a big shock but I always knew that I wanted to be a mummy and um, so I always knew from the start I'd have my baby no matter what but um early on then in my pregnancy I started bleeding and I was down in college in Waterford and I remember I didn't even have the price of to get a taxi to get go to the hospital so at this stage I hadn't really told anyone I was pregnant and I had to text my friend and tell her that I was pregnant and so they came down and collected me and brought me to Waterford Hospital and so there I went and I at this stage I just thought oh I was having a miscarriage and stuff but um I, I actually got there and uh, there was a heartbeat so I was delighted and then I went on to have some early scans for an 11 week scan with my uh, mom and when I was there then they saw that um my baby had a uh, fluid around its head and back its neck so that would indicate that there would be markers for a chromosomal defect, like which could be Down syndrome or Edward syndrome or a Pate syndrome. So um, then I ha- went um, to a specialist then up- upstairs to a different doctor and I had to wait then for, I think it was like an hour, it was like the longest wait ever. And um, she uh, came in and scanned me and she confirmed that there was fluid around the baby's head. So then I had to make a choice then whether I wanted to get an amniocentesis done and that's where they take um, a needle into your belly and take um, a fluid from around the baby and send it off for genetic testing to see if there was, um, okay. you know, any chromosomal um, abnormalities. And then I had to wait for around, uh, I think it was like five weeks or something for that to come back. And I remember... Then the doctor rang me on the 7th of March 2017 and uh, she said over the phone that um, my baby had Edward syndrome. And I just remember just breaking and crying and running out to my mom and just like, mom, my baby has Edward syndrome. But at that time I knew I was having a boy, so he was always called Noah. So um, then, and I just remember crying into her shoulders for ages. Like I'd never heard of Edward syndrome like growing up I used to always think that you just got pregnant and had your baby like I'd never really heard of anyone who um who had lost their babies like maybe had miscarriages mm-hmm. and stuff but I'd never heard of anyone's babies being sick or you know having Edward syndrome was never I was never mentioned anywhere like, like I'd never even heard of it so as you do when you hear um any diagnosis you go on google which is probably the worst thing that you can do and uh google scared me half to death like all you see on google is you know your baby's not going to live past the in your womb or they're going to die shortly after birth and stuff like that so that in itself was just a big shock (laughs) and then I actually was on Facebook one night and I came across um a little girl's video called Katie Ree and she actually had Edward syndrome so I got in contact with her mom and she sent me and um, some links to some support pages like um under the rainbow for tr- uh, trisomy um parents and then the likes of soft and stuff so I got to uh, join them groups and they gave me some useful information about what Edward syndrome was and it wasn't just about Google you know they 
that like my yeah. baby can live and survive and stuff so it was a really like you know they gave me hope I suppose whereas Google just it just kind of I don't know doesn't give you any sense of hope I suppose um yeah so then and after you received Noah's diagnosis what was the plan what was the follow-up or what did the consultant say to you um well basically they the doctor basically just said that uh, well they don't say it, they more so push you to say like oh you, you can have a, an abortion so that was one thing but I knew that I never really wanted to have like I never wanted to have an abortion that was just I always wanted to meet my baby no matter how um or I wanted them to make their own choice whether they were going to live or uh, die so then um mm. uh, and then like they didn't really have a plan like it was just kind of take it day by day like you know basically letting Noah decide how long he was going to survive for and stuff like that um but then um near the end of my pregnancy I ended up getting preeclampsia so I was in hospital for ages and then um I was either I was left to go home or I was able to stay in hospital and I just wanted to go home I just I don't know you don't want to be in hospital you know if you don't have to be and stuff so Mm -hmm. I was sent home then to take it easy and basically be on bed rest and then um I was going back up and forward like you know maybe twice a week just to get scans and stuff and then um I went for a scan on the Monday and everything was fine and then I went back on the Friday and he was fine as well but on the Friday evening I started to get pains in my side and I just thought oh, I was having just a little bit of cramping or you know he was just moving or something I didn't really think anything of it and then over that weekend, then I um, was just trying to get him to kick and stuff. And um, like he wasn't really kicking. And so then I had another appointment on the Monday, which would have been the 21st of April 2017. And I just like uh, maybe other moms can uh, maybe they felt this way as well. But I um, just kind of knew already in my heart that Noah had passed. And then on the way up in the car, I am. Um, saw a rainbow and it just kind of made me feel like he was telling me that he was he was gone and that he was going to be okay and that he was safe now and then I went into the coom and I had um they just put the doctor on me because I was just going in you know to get my blood pressure checked and all that sort of stuff and then um yeah I went in anyway and they couldn't find the harpy and I just I said to her oh I think he's gone and she goes oh no I think I think I hear some but it was a junior doctor and then she's just I'm just going to call your um your uh, normal doctor to come and have a look at you and then I went down to a different scan room and she um confirmed that Noah had passed away so she said the words no parent wants to hear is there's no harpy and so as uh, most uh, parents would like know that that's the four words you don't want to hear so yeah gosh and how many weeks were you at that stage I was 34 weeks um and I was in there by myself and my dad was actually out in the car so I had to go out and tell him what what happened so oh Yvonne yeah that was that was probably the worst of having to go out there and just tell him like do you know it's like I knew but having to go and actually say it to someone else was probably the hardest thing I suppose you know going to tell everyone that you lost your baby like it's just it's not something you can easily just say I suppose you just well I just cried and then my dad kind of just knew so yeah 
So when they told you that poor Noah had passed and there was no heartbeat, what was the next, what did they want to do then? Um, so I didn't have obviously any stuff or anything with me then on the day. So they were basically like, oh, you need to go home and pack your bag and, you know, get a few bits ready and come back in. And we will um, basically they just went through a bit what would happen. So they'd give me a tablet and that would basically stop my pregnancy from progressing and then basically induce labor. So that was on the Monday. And then. On the Tuesday, then I just we just the bereavement counselor came to meet me, and we just kind of made memories, you know, took pictures with my bones, and you know, sang songs and read stories and stuff like that, and just went for little walks, just you know, and went to I actually went to the church then as well, and I lit candles and stuff like that because they have a church in the hospital. And then Wednesday came, and they induced labor and they gave me the gel and stuff like that and then I I was um in I didn't go into labor straight away and then I had no real pains then up until about six o'clock and then I started getting like really bad pains and then all of a sudden then I remember just being saying I need to go to the toilet I like I never experienced it before so I just um thought I needed to go um number two as <laughs> you do and then um the doctor you they obviously wouldn't let me go in the normal toilet so they brought in a commode and then um uh, soon after that she was like you don't need to go to the toilet you need to go and have your baby so then I was rushing down on the trolley to go to the delivery room and I was like I can't stop I can't stop I need to go and then um they um the, then I went to the delivery room and I, they were actually going to give me the epidural but I said I need to push and he was like no no wait don't push don't push and then I just couldn't help it. I just pushed and then then his head started coming out and then um one more push and then he was out and he was actually born in his um in his sack, which is, in itself is really mm. rare. So yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, so but um I actually they never asked me if I wanted to see that because they thought it would upset me, so I never even got to see him in in the sack so or take a picture or anything like that. So that was kind of sad. <laughs> And how were you coping throughout Noah's labour and birth? And who did you have with you to support? Um, so back then I would have had my partner, but I, um, my family and my partner didn't really get on that well. So mostly it was just me going to appointments or my mom would come the odd time or stuff like that. So most of my journey was kind of by myself because they just didn't really get along, if you get me. So that was hard in itself. Like I was going through all these emotions, but like my partner was very mm. supportive and so my family was just that they they weren't very supportive together if you get me like that so it's just one of them things like and you know it's hard to go through um you know find out you've lost your baby by yourself but and I know my mom always feels guilty because she didn't come with me that day or you know and then knows dad as well that he wasn't there so it's just it's hard but um yeah no I'm like I'm glad because I carried him so I was there the whole journey and stuff like that and then actually the, when I was burying him, it was spilling rain, but we couldn't leave him on the ground. So the undertaker asked me if I would hold him the whole, like, you know, when we're outside saying a few prayers or whatever. So, and I just felt like, oh, I'd love to hold him because I held him from the start and I wanted to hold him until the end, you know, like, Liam would like, hold you, so like that. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I like, I, I don't know, that always stays with me that I held my baby for, you know, as long as I could, I suppose, yeah. Were you given um, a choice of services after 
like bereavement counseling or anything like that just to help you through um well when Noah passed they got um every life or not now I lay me down to sleep to come and take um pictures of Noah so we could keep his memories and then Felicon mm. were um evolved and they came and they gave us um a memory box so we had to take um Noah's hand and footprints as well so we actually got that in a little cast which we still have and then like they gave us little teddy bears and you know booklets and stuff like that that we could write down like his date of birth and all that sort of stuff so that was lovely and I still have that at home as well and then like Felicon do um uh, loads of things where they do like breathing counseling then you know throughout the years and after like years after uh, you have your uh, baby I never actually went to any of them. I don't know. Like I, I don't know. I'm not. I, I suppose now I start talking about everything, but back then I don't know. I kind of kept everything in, but it's only recently and maybe the last year or two that I started really opening up about Noah and Ayla. Like, no, I would have kind of been. Um, my family would be kind of like we keep everything to ourselves. We never really, mm. you know, put us ourselves out there. So then I started Ayla's page, and then I suppose it all kind of from there do you feel like you it helps to talk about it or yeah it definitely helps like I feel like it helps me like not that I want like to grieve in a sense of way because it will I like to make um a positive out of a negative so yeah what I was trying to do is you know if I could put my story out there and you know someone could relate and then you know that would mean that I was helping someone else and to me like that's the best thing that I could do from having this experience would be to know that um I shared my story and someone else didn't feel alone as what I felt back then so that was Mm -hmm. one of the main things that I wanted to do I wanted to set up a page I wanted to talk about my story and I wanted to get it out there so people would know that it's okay uh, to go through all these and have all the these emotions and know that you aren't alone and there's places that you can go and there's actually groups that you can join and you know it's okay to tell your story and it's okay to talk about your baby because most people you know say oh well how come you haven't got over it was four years ago or it was you know 35 years ago and yeah some people say like some really stupid <laughs> really stupid stuff that's mm. the only way they can put it but it's just because they don't understand like they've never been there and unless you as they say the saying goes unless you wear the shoes you don't understand and that's and you don't want them to understand because um then they too would have went through what you went through and so you'd rather them not understand and say the stupid <laughs> the stupid things they say like oh most of the things people would have said to me was oh you're young you'll have a, a, more babies or you know it was god's wish or you know if because if you have an early miscarriage wherever it's old your baby wasn't further along or aren't you lucky he wasn't further along and stuff like that so I find with this like people who don't haven't went through it they'll say um stuff that might hurt you but it's just that they don't understand because they've never been there and that's like that's okay but and you will feel hurt when people say that but you just need to remember oh they don't understand if they understood then they wouldn't be saying them sort of thing so I found that a lot that people would say you know stuff it was the main one I got was oh you're young you'll have more sort of thing so yeah. You are so understanding. Will we move on to your next pregnancy? 
Uh, yeah. So then, um, so I would have been tr- like, I wanted to have another baby, but not to replace Noel. It was just that yeah. I had so much love in my heart and I just wanted to give it to another little human. And then, um, so I was trying for about a year or so. And I actually had a, a miscarriage in May 2018. So just the month before I fell pregnant again. So then I fell pregnant in June and um, I fe- then um, I would have had a, a chemical pregnancy it is before I found out I was pregnant on Ayala. And then, um, so I just, can I say something else actually? Yeah, of course. Uh, when I was um, pregnant on um, Noah, um, I had done a test to see if I had a gene. So okay. um, I would have sent off bloods to get checked to see if I was a carrier of um, cr- or having Edward syndrome or Down syndrome. So that actually came back and I have what's called a balanced translocation where my chromosome 18 and 21 swap over, but they balance out so it doesn't affect me. Um, but that just means that if I was ever to get pregnant again, that I could have a baby with either Edward syndrome or Down syndrome or a mixture of both. And um, okay. so I have um, a one in three chance of having a baby without any chromosomal um, abnormality or, or 70, 30 or my odds. Um, but like I knew that I that would never affect affect my uh, my I just it wouldn't like I knew, you know, that I'd that didn't matter I, if I wanted to have another baby I'd have another baby that I'd love it no matter what I would have so then I tried for about a year and then in June I fell pregnant and that pregnancy then was actually there was no complications you know there was no signs of any abnormalities or any fluid around the head so I was asked if I wanted to have another amniocensis and then I declined because I didn't want my baby to um go through it if there was no need because I I knew that I'd love it no matter what and um, then before then I was about uh, I was about maybe 35 weeks pregnant and I just started getting really bad pains in my back and pains in my legs and I actually ended up I wasn't able to walk so I actually ended up having a clot in my uh, left leg and then I um because I was so close to birth I ended up having to get a filter put into my neck and down into my lungs so I wouldn't you know bleed out and clot uh, or clot okay. wouldn't spread, spread to my lungs when I was given birth and then with that it's called um, called a filter when you get it in your neck but there's a 50 50 chance that I'd never come back out and if that happened then I would have to be on tablets and stuff for the rest of my life but um, luckily uh, enough, it actually did come come out in the end, so I didn't have to go on tablets. Thank God. Um, so the clot so, came out, was it? I know the filter. They put a filter in your neck just to catch any of the clot that okay. or stuff. Uh, I actually should have brought it because I would have been able to show you. But um, <laughs> um, yeah. So I had that, and then um, so I had to be induced, um, because obviously I wasn't allowed to go into labour by myself because. It'd be too dangerous because um like I could bleed out and they needed to have it under control and stuff like okay. that. And then um so I was I was in for ages and you know, oh they said, Oh, I'll start you today, I'll start you today, and then it was, oh no, we'll wait, we'll wait. And then so I actually had Ada just the day before my due date. So I was 39 and nine. 
and then um she she like when my labor was okay it was just um that her heart rate and stuff were it was going kind of low um so then like I was they had to break my waters and stuff and it was just that she was in a bit of distress but I ended up having to be in a cut because um I was pushing and basically nothing was happening and for ages and then um yeah so uh, then she came along and she didn't start crying for a couple of seconds so I was like, why isn't she crying? Why isn't she crying? Do you know, after you lose the baby and like, because they don't cry, you're just like, oh, she's not crying. She's not crying. So that was probably really hard. But then she was, she started crying and she was crying and she was breathing on her own. So she was um, placed on my chest then for, we got to cuddle, you know, and I actually got to try breastfeeding stuff. So I'll always remember that. And then uh, we went back down to the room that or the ward. And I got to be, I so that was maybe around four. Ayla was born at 28 minutes past 12 on the 7th of March 2019. And so then uh, we went back down to the ward and she um, she was grand. She was a bit slow feed and she didn't really like latch on, I suppose. And then I remember it was like eight o'clock the next morning and my mom had just come up. And I said to my mom, she looks very yellow. And my mom goes, oh, maybe she has jaundice. And so with that then I just pressed my bet my bell and the doctor the nurse came in and she was just like I said oh she looks very yellow and she goes oh oh yeah she does and I remember with that she took Ayla and she brought her up to there's a little room at the top of the ward and then that was grand and then it was about an hour had passed and I went looking I was like oh where's my baby <laughs> like you took her an hour ago and you haven't brought her back yet and then she was just like, oh, go back down to your bed and I'll get someone to come down to you now in a minute. And I was just like, oh, what's going on? Like, you know. And so my mom was still there at that stage. And then a girl who I had met when I was pregnant on Noah came and she talked to me and she was just said that, um, oh, um, doctors have just noticed that Ayla has some um, facial facial um, deformalities. So um, that she has... Um, low set ears and her eyes are closer together and is a higher roof palette and um so with that like I kind of already knew what that meant so I knew um that low set ears and a high roof palette and eyes close together and meant that oh she might have Edward syndrome so that was grand then and then because of the jaundice she needed to be taken to the NICU <laughs> excuse me so she was up there then for a few hours and then a doctor came back down and he goes your baby's after having a seizure so um Ayla had a seizure about in the first 24 hours then after she was born so then she was taken to ICU and then the next morning then I was told that she had had another seizure but it was only captured on they had an AED I think it's called on her um, so that was grand, but we never actually found out why she was having the seizures and stuff like that. Um, but she was really poor at feeding, so she was NG fed then from about 24 hours after she was born. And then um, she would have been in ICU for um, a week and a half. And then we got home then and we were home for um, a week, another week and a half. And at that time, we were still waiting for the genetic test to come back. Um, okay. And it take, 
takes like five weeks or more for them to come back. So did Ayla come home with you that time? Yeah, after a week and a half, she came home. And then, um, so she was feeding, but she was just re- really, really slow. Like she would only maybe take uh, not even 30 mils, you know, it was just, and she would kind of be spitting it out. And then, um, so we were home for a week and a half and then her breathing got really, really bad and really fast. So I brought her to Crumlin and then she was there for two weeks and they said that she had bronchiolitis and then we got home for three days and then Ayla was rushed back in because she was starting to work really hard again and she was then she was taken to ICU because her oxygen levels were just really low they couldn't get them um, under control and so then she was in ICU for four months and she was confirmed then um, about five weeks so she would have been over a month old at this stage that she had what's called um, um, an X marker chromosome or derivative chromosome so that means that she has not only chromosome 18 which is um, Edwards syndrome she also has Down syndrome so um, Ayla has a 40 MB extra chromosome 18 and 7 of um, 21 and so basically she has a whole extra chromosome, but it's made up of both um, Edwards syndrome and Down syndrome. So she has a, a 47 chromosome. And um, so basically like the doc, when I heard that the doctors told me that they didn't know of any other child who had um, the exact same genes as Ayla did. So they said like, they can't tell me whether she'll walk or whether she'll talk or you know, because Edward syndrome is um, a life limiting illness, they said, like, we don't know whether your baby will survive or not. And at this stage, she was already in ICU. So mm. it was kind of things weren't really looking good. So um, then her oxygen levels and stuff weren't, um, they couldn't keep um, her oxygen levels up. So it was said that um, she might have to have um get a tracky so which would be um, a tube in her neck and do all the breeding for her and stuff and um, I knew what came along with that would be um, that we'd have to be in hospital for over a year so I remember just praying and praying and praying oh please don't let us have to get this but I knew that if she needed it then it would be okay but so we had a meeting but I went into the meeting with my partner and then the first I met um, a doctor right off the meeting was I think you should make your baby comfortable and I just stood up and, and I just said, sorry, what did you say? And he goes, I think you should make your baby comfortable. And no one had ever really talked to me like, you know, how, like I knew she had Edwards syndrome. I knew she had Down syndrome, but I didn't know she was sick. Like just because she mm. couldn't keep her oxygen, no one had said, oh, well, she has this or she has that. So um, with that, I said, what do you mean make her comfortable? And he was just like, I think you should make her comfortable and just let her pass. And I said, why would why would I do that like she's not she's not dying or she's not like uh, to me I didn't feel like she was dying you know that sort of way and um so I said no I'm not just going to give up on her like you know you need to do something to help her and they're just like but what's the like they basically said what's the point because you're just prolonging her life of pain and I said I don't think she's in pain like to me she's not in pain yeah she's her oxygen levels low, but she was still she was giving us little smiles and stuff and you know she didn't seem yeah. like a baby who was in a whole lot of pain but the thing is when uh, I find even when I had Noah like 
you know, if he was born alive, doctors weren't going to intervene. So they, they do what's called um, comfort care, but they won't, you know, if their baby's born with a heart defect or anything, they won't perform surgery because it's seen as they're going to prolong their life of pain. Um, and they don't really, I suppose, value um, a child's life when they have a life limit illness. They feel like it's, um, you're just, I don't know, you're putting your baby through pain for no reason because they're just going to die anyway. Um, so with that, I said, no, I, I already lost one baby. I'm not losing another one. So with that, then I had my social worker there. And she, she just, she like agreed to me and she said, look, you need to do something to control her, her oxygen. Like, you know, um, um, Ayla's mom wants, she doesn't want comfort care. She wants, you know, to be intervened. And um, so she was a great help to me. And without her, like, I don't know what they, they would have just gave up on Ayla. Like, they didn't want to do anything. So then in the next few days, they actually found out that why Ayla didn't have, her oxygen levels couldn't be managed was because she just had sleep apnea which is where she just stops breathing okay. um, at night time. Well, not night time, because she was sleeping all the time. It's when she goes to sleep, you just stop breathing. And Ayla has a larger tongue, so her tongue falls to the back of her throat and just cuts off her airway a little bit. So that's why she has um, sleep apnea. But it's very manageable. So they um, inserted what's called an MPA into Ayla's nose. And that just um, it goes to the nose, then to the back of the throat, and it just keeps her airways open. And that um, then that solved all the problems. Ayla was then breathing. She was able to breathe then on her own. She didn't need any oxygen and she was like, she was fine. Um, so then she came out of ICU then in the end of May. And that was fine. I learned how to manage Ayla's um, MPA and how to look after her and, she was also NG fed actually back then because we found out also that she was aspirating her um, bottles so the milk was going into her lungs and um, so she had to be NG fed then so she was she might have, she only fed for about maybe two weeks by herself and at that she we, is that is NG fed through it through her nose is it yeah it's just a tube that in her nose and um, so. And okay. um, so she was basically, um, she was never really bottled fed. She was for about two weeks, but she was always really poor and she wasn't really putting on the weight. And so, and that's why when we went home that we ended back in hospital so soon after, because remember I said she had bronchiolitis. So that's yeah. what was happening, but we just didn't know at the time. And okay. um, so, yeah, then Ayla got out of you and I had to learn to manage like the MPA and the NG and stuff before we were ever allowed to go home so you have to learn how to um insert the mpa three times and you no know, like it's not as where to track you where you only have a certain amount of time to put back in but because of ayla like she wasn't able to breathe it out so you'd have to get it back in uh, within a certain amount of time or there was a risk that she'd stop breathing so um i had to learn how to do that and then um you also have to learn how to suction her MPA because if it gets blocked up at all, then you have um, it would obviously the mean she would stop breathing. So with all that, then we had to learn how to suction her, how to manage giving her her feeds and the suction machine, and we also had to get all them stuff um delivered to the house and you know stuff like that. So it was it wasn't just as simple as bringing your baby home, you know. 
Um, you know, you have to basically learn how to be a nurse, I suppose. So I could uh, bring it home and so she could thrive. So I learned how to do that. And so um, I actually ended up uh, splitting up with my partner then. So I ended up moving back in with my mom and she then because I needed to have a second person to um to um be able to look after Ayla obviously if anything happened to me so she came up and she learned how to do Ayla's um MPA and her NG and stuff like that and I moved back in with my mom then and um we took Ayla home then on the 17th of June 2017 so yeah <laughs> How did you, you must have been exhausted, but also on a high, I suppose, to get her home, but you must have, everything must have really taken its toll on. Did you ever have a moment where, I'm sure you did, you had plenty where you just felt, I need, I need Um, a second. This is actually a funny story because when, before Ayla went up to ICU, they had to shave her head because she has such poor veins. And I remember I just, I think everything just built up. And you know, sometimes when, the smallest of things just tip you over the edge well that was that was my tipping point and I I just cried and cried and I remember my mom and dad were my mom had an appointment with Vincent she was going to pop over and see us then just for a few minutes afterwards and she came in and I said oh don't come down to the room Ayla's trying to get bloods and stuff done so I met them in the hall and I was hysterically crying and my mom and dad had thought that Ayla had passed because I was just so upset and I remember saying to my she was like what's wrong what's wrong and I said they had to, they had to shave her head like I was so I was distraught and my mom goes is that all is that all <laughs> she was she thought she had, she had passed away so I'm um, yeah I just like I you know it's you know you go through so many emotions especially like after losing a child and you know you, you feel oh is this going to happen to me again and you know mm-hmm. um you're just worried like kind of all the time I suppose you just I don't know, you know, you have so much anxiety and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? Do you know, do you know, you don't, and especially when your child has um, uh, any, any diagnosis, it doesn't have to be life-limiting, you know, you don't know what the future is going to hold. So, you know, you're like, oh, what if, what if? And I suppose you kind of drive yourself mad and you kind of have to learn to not, not think about, you know, the future. You just have to take day by day what's going on and, you know, deal with the now and don't don't worry about the future because you literally like you drive yourself insane trying to think, oh, well, is she going to walk? Is she going to talk? What are like what's her life going to be like, you know? But the main thing is like I can say, you know, <laughs> when you have a baby with any illness, you know, it doesn't matter what they look like, if they're ever going to talk, if they're ever going to walk or whatever. Like you'll never regret having your baby whether they live for two minutes or whether they die in your room like you know you you're going to love them no matter what they look like no matter if they talk if they walk they're your babies and uh, I can't explain it but you know being able to just carry them and meet them and love your baby no matter what stage of pregnancy you get to um I think that's the most amazing thing and it's I often get asked the question oh like do you regret ever you know do you know carrying Noah or going through all this and I'd say nope 100% not I got to meet Noah I got to hold and in a sense I got to make my memories and stuff and then memories will 
they last your lifetime. You know, they're always going to be with you. No one can ever take their memories away from you. Um, yeah, the pain, like it hurts and, you know, you'll have good days and you have bad days. But um, meeting your baby, getting to hold him, like it's just, it's just amazing. Like, you know, oh, I, don't know I don't even know what, like it's just, there's no better feeling than meeting your baby, no, no matter like if they're, they've passed or even if they're sick like you're going to love your baby no matter what like a mother and a father's love is unconditional and it doesn't matter what they have or what they don't have like that that's your that's your flesh and blood if you get me so yeah Mm, Yeah. (laughs) and your parents got to meet Noah as well didn't they yeah my um my family got to meet Noah and hold him so my mom and dad were actually they waited the whole day up there actually in the hospital they waited in the canteen or whatever and so then when Noah was born, they got to meet him and hold him. And I always remember my mom said, I'll never forget his face. And, you know, um, when you have a stillborn, they there is a ch- chance that their skin can kind of rip when they come out because they're, they're essentially lying in the back for a few days before they're born. So their skin gets all kind of wrinkly and stuff. So I was kind of like, it's, I suppose you don't know what your baby's going to look like you know when they have mm. when your baby passed like oh what are they going to look like you know that's what way but um so Noah actually came out and he had um a rip going all around his um right eye so it like you know seeing your baby's skin basically rip like you know it it, it does hurt like it does like but you still they're still beautiful but I remember my mom always saying that um, she'd never forget his face and you know you never will forget your baby's face like you know they're going to live with you forever and it's not that like you'll always want to remember them it doesn't cause you pain like it does cause you pain but it's a good pain I suppose to remember your your child like you'll never mm. forget them and you'll never want to forget them either yeah <laughs> and how is life for you both now I know today on her stories you could just see that she was so happy and excited over what I don't know but it's just so nice to see Ayla is like the happiest little girl like you know and when you watch your stories you can see that she really looks into your face she really looks into your eyes everyone always says that she always looks up at me um but yeah no Ayla's doing actually amazing like she's she isn't walking or she's not crawling yet but she's able to sit up and she's able to grab things and she can say dada and she can say baba and you know she looks at you and if she wants something mm. you have to get for even there like before I came on this we have a little monkey and it dances and all and she had kicked it over and she started crying until I picked it back up and started playing it for her like you know she knows what she wants if you get me like that yeah. she is really intelligent um so like another thing is like don't like doctors they might, <laughs> they might it sounds bad they might think they know everything but they don't like they don't they can't tell you what your child is going to do and um, so they don't they say they don't know whether she walk or talk and all this and you know, you kind of get caught up on that. Like you kind of go, oh, you know, you know. I suppose they like. I feel like they shouldn't say that to you because like they don't know, so they shouldn't be putting that in parents' heads because it does like it does affect you. Like you're like, oh, my baby's never going to talk. She's never going to walk. She's never going to do this. And then like you have to like get that in your head, but then you also have to then come to terms with you know, my baby can, she will walk and she will talk. I just have to put in more um more like effort than I would have had to if she didn't have these things and mm. so like you do like and that's what that's what you do you do physio you bring her to OTs you bring her to speech and language therapist like it is 
you do have a lot of work to do but you know it's so worth it to see her smile to see her pick up stuff to you know get to hear her say her first words you know right now she's not doing something but you know in a week there a week is a lot like I remember thinking oh she's never going to roll and then in the space of a few days she was rolling and in the space of a few days then she was picking up things like things happen so quick and with having a child who has um additional needs like you know it makes you um it makes you appreciate all the little things they do and so like oh I don't know like even like Ayla doesn't really laugh like the only way I can get her to laugh is kind of like tickler and so like I remember the first time she laughed I remember it was I literally started crying I was like mommy mommy daddy you come here like it was just it was just amazing you know and like you just you appreciate all the little small things maybe that people might take for granted I suppose um like everything is just it's just so amazing like you know they I think we forget how strong and how resilient they can be like they just they just amaze you every day like they're they're so strong and you know they're probably one of I find they're people they're they're so funny and you know their little personalities and their characters so they're just all the people I've met on Instagram since starting this journey like they're all so and they're just little characters like going around you know they're you know I don't know like how any doctor would be able to tell you that your life their life isn't worth living or you know you should just give up on your baby because every every child deserves the right to live and um it shouldn't like they like this is just what I think they should be able to decide their own fate like no doctor should be able to say oh to you like um just because of their diagnosis that their life isn't worth living years ago like down syndrome babies their lives were, were said to be like living a life of pain and now mm. there's low like down syndrome is very common you know and doctors and all help down syndrome babies now you know when they're born they give them heart surgery and stuff so like my hope for the future would be that um doctors um would see babies who have life limiting illnesses that their life matters too and that they can survive and try with the right support so hopefully that they oh gorgeous yeah yeah and hopefully they will um in the future um realize that they're like that kids lives are worth living and they just because they have a diagnosis doesn't mean that they're going to live a life of pain or a life of misery they're never going to smile or they're never going to do this like they're they Mm. can do like they can do anything it just might take them a bit longer so I, I saw a quote actually the other day that um um, a, a child with special needs is like a butterfly um, and it just has it just has a broken wings but it needs uh, some help to learn to fly again and that's what I think like kids with special needs are like they're they are beautiful and they are special but they just need a little bit of extra help and we all need help at some stage in our life so why shouldn't they be denied the right to help myself? You're doing an amazing job. Oh, thank you. You really are. And you're creating such a nice community as well and sharing sharing both your stories. You've been, you've been through an awful lot, haven't you? Yeah, I have. But sure, that's just life, I suppose. Like people, you know, people out there have gone through a lot worse than what I have. Like I don't feel like, like yeah, losing a baby and having another child with special needs is tough. But, you know, there's so many worse people off out there. And, you know, if the what I can do the only thing I can do from my experience is like the likes of coming on and talking to you and sharing my experience and then 
just so people know that you know it's it's okay to feel this way and it's okay to talk about your baby like you don't have to be ashamed of having um a stillborn or a miscarriage like it's you know it's it's okay to come and say their name and it's okay to talk about them and still love them even though they're not here anymore like that's still real and it's always going to be your child and even if you don't go on to have any more kids like you're still a mommy like that that baby made you a mommy and it's okay to it's okay to celebrate Mother's Day on Sunday because you are you are a mommy and stuff like that and there'll always be a part of you missing but you know you can celebrate that and you can you know you can feel pain at the same time and you don't have to feel guilty when you start being happy again and doing stuff and going out again like they don't want you to feel sad all the time like they want you to move like not essentially move like move on but just you know get back on into your life and you know do things and be happy like they don't want you to be sad all the time so Yvonne thank you so much for sharing it was lovely to finally speak to you thank you enjoy the rest of your evening bye I hope you get a good sleep on all of our sleep oh me too (laughs) chat soon bye bye I hope you enjoyed and took something away from my chat with Yvonne. I have a little notepad uh, with several pages scribbled down from some nuggets of gold that she shared with us. So I look forward to bringing you another episode next week. Enjoy your week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.